Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Everybody, really quick before we get into this episode, I have a special offer for everybody today. Right now, it is pre-sale. If you are listening on Wednesday, April 10th, after 10 a.m. Central Time, if you use pre-sale code JKSUMMER, you can get tickets to my shows that just went on pre-sale today. August 9th in Milwaukee, August 10th in Minneapolis, August 14th in Nashville, 15th in Birmingham, Alabama, and August 16th in Athens, Georgia. JenKirkman.com, click tour, use pre-sale code JKSUMMER. They go on sale to the general public on Friday. The pre-sale guarantees you tickets before these shows sell out. And on sale right now, JenKirkman.com, click tour. I am, of course, in April, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, one night, April 24th, April 25th in Philadelphia, April 30th, my show at the Hollywood Improv Lab, and April 16th, a special appearance at Largo on a show with Ben Lee and Ioni Sky as we celebrate Easter. All of this is on my website, jenkirkman.com. Click tour. I see fun. I see fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman. Seem fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast episode 280. Oh my God. Oh, I got some stories for you today. <laughs> oh, just imagine me in my 20s going across the country in a van thinking that I got rich because it is the 1999.com boom and I don't know it's about to bust. Oh boy. Oh, I'm going to talk about moving to New York City before I'd ever even been there. I was an idiot. You can learn from me or you can laugh at me. Here is a list of what's coming up in today's episode. There's a listener who wants some advice on motivating to move to New York City. Well, I'm going to talk about how James Dean on my wall as a teenager made me move to New York City just to smoke cigarettes. My friends who went to a diner in high school in New York, they went to a diner in, in, in New York City in high school and came back, and I was so jealous. My parents wouldn't let me go to college in New York City. I, I quit my job. I got my job back. 
the dot-com boom, oh my God, and how the person that shut down the company I worked for was an old childhood crush. Oh yeah, it was a fucking full circle story. It's one of my craziest. You're going to hear that all today over the course of this episode. So let's begin. Let's begin. Hold, please. Hold, please, everybody. So let's start with let's start with this. So yeah, a listener sent in an email and I'll get to the email, but but I understand that 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 she was uh this listener was saying, sorry, I'm I'm gender I'm gender confused here. I think it's a, a woman. I, I always cut out the names so that I don't accidentally say them on air and then I forget. But I, I, my vibe is telling me that it was a woman. It doesn't really matter, does it? People are people, so why should it be? Sorry. All right. But I believe that even if you don't end up moving to New York, New York City looms large in, I was going to say every American's head, but I think everyone throughout the world. It's the same way that I think about Paris a lot, even though I'm, it's not in a country that I live in. I've been twice. I've landed in the airport three times. I count that as three times. <laughs> I've been to Paris three times. Don't ask me about my third trip. It was a layover on the way to Dublin. Well, it was five hours though. Enough time to get a wine and some cheese at the airport. Technically, I was in France. Were you in France that day? No, you weren't. Don't give me any shit about it. So, you know, it's a place of expression and freedom and artisticness and glamour and grittiness and even the glamour of the grittiness and blah, blah, blah. It's at least a vacation destination, if not your final destination. And I don't think, I don't know if, if people these days younger suffer this because you do have Google Maps. So what I'm about to say you might not suffer is you see pictures of New York City. I might see pictures of Studio 54 in the 70s and James Dean hanging out at a dance class with Eartha Kitt in the 50s and walking down Times Square with his black coat and it's snowing and he's got a cigarette. To me, that's all one big blob. I understand it's two different decades, but it's all one big romanticized version of New York City. And and even though I call it romanticized, those moments were real. But by the time those I was looking at those pictures, it was not like that anymore. I didn't know that. Nobody was going, hey, Jen, I have some photographs of uh, 1991 New York City. Would you like to look at them? I'm sure, by the way, uh, looking back, I'm sure 1991 New York City, well, I know for a fact it's way cooler than right now New York City, but it was still at the very least different than 1970s and 1950s New York City. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously realizing I don't sound that fucking smart, if that makes sense. I don't sound, I mean, I sound semi-smart now, but I'm saying childhood me doesn't, doesn't sound that smart. I like literally think, I'm not even kidding, I literally think 
that when I go to New York City someday, it's going to look like James Dean's is, 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 is New York. Hang on one second. Um, you know, this is my podcast. I'm sending, I'm sending a message right now to my Instacart grocery shopper. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was going to happen. Okay. So I've got on my wall pictures of James Dean smoking. That's all I wanted. What do you want to be when you grow up? An actor. I wear all black. I'm in plays. I smoke. That's it. That was, those were my goals. Very simple. I achieved all of them except maybe being in a play in New York, but I certainly did get on stage. I, just, I, I can't explain to you why I thought it was so glamorous. I was very into books and reading and big, thick Russian literature. I just thought I was a very great intellect and I'm reading Oscar Wilde and I'm reading this. And you know what? I don't read that shit now. I don't. I read like I don't know. Do you have a reality show about home decorating? I'll read your biography. You know, what, what, what am I? I'm not, I'm not that smart anymore. I mean, I read some good stuff, but if I'm going to read smart stuff. It's going to be, you know, self-help, blah, blah, psychology, awareness. It's smart. It's not like cool. I got to get back to being cool. I got to get back to cool reading. I really do. And I think that it, the, the Kindle is what fucks us up. If I may go off topic for a minute. Because I can take my Kindle anywhere, planes, trains, subways, waiting rooms, nobody knows what I'm reading. I could literally be reading Boozy Susie's Guide to Life. Who's Boozy Susie? Oh, she was a drunk woman on the street that was rolling around going, I got a way to live. And when some home makeover show just happened to walk by her, you know, I am not that dumb, but like, I would be embarrassed for people to see some of the books on my Kindle. These books would not make it onto my bookshelf at home. These books would not exist in my hands on a subway. So there was like this public pressure. I wasn't doing it for the public, but it was like, I'm interested in smart shit. And I might be interested in some dumb shit, but dumb shit is for flipping through in the bookstore. But since I don't go to the bookstore that much anymore and I just order online, it's all like private, dark, and secret. I can be as dumb as I want over here. And, you know, it's really only hurting me. So without the extra thought that you have to have when you buy a book that's dumb, you go, do I really want to spend 10 to 20 bucks on this? It's dumb. I might. Okay, where are you going to read it? Oh, well, I usually do a lot of my reading in public. Well, people are going to see that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you know what? I don't need this book. I'm going to get the other one I was going to get that's like super smart and about, you know, blah, blah. You know, I can't even think of a fucking example. But I couldn't think of an example of a dumb book either, so don't judge me. Anyway, so that, I got to get back to this person. I'm reading like Stanislavski, Uta Hagen, like how to build a character, blah, blah. I'm all into acting before I even started acting. I'm in it. I'm reading every single book about James Dean. I know his whole life. There's a great movie. I think you can find it on Netflix or Hulu or one of those things. It's James Patterson as in the vampire guy. He's playing a famous photographer who wants to photograph James Dean. And it's James Dean right before he breaks huge. It's right before East of Eden comes out and Rebel Without a Cause. And James Dean's like, well, I don't want to get photographed. I'm James Dean. I don't like all this bullshit. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to photograph you back home at your 
your farm in Indiana where you grew up. You know, his mom died and his dad didn't want him. And so he grew up with his aunt and uncle, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go back to Fairmont, Indiana. And then this guy had to convince his editor at Life Magazine, I'm going to get James Dean photos. Great, son. You're going to go on the red carpet and you're going to get pictures of James Dean. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm going to get James Dean back on the farm, like getting a haircut and playing bongos in the, with his pet pig. And, and the editor was going, you can't do that. Nobody cares about that. This was sort of the first time anyone was photographed in the wild like that. And it made James Dean a star before his movies even came out. So it's actually a very fascinating and really cool little story. I can post stuff about it in the private Facebook room if you want. If you guys want to join the I Seem Fun Facebook group, here's what you do. You go to twitter.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast and right there in the bio, there's a link to join. It's a closed group, but it's not a secret group. But all that means is you can post to your heart's content in there about how much you hate your husband or your wife or your boss or your sister or your mother or your dog and they won't see it unless they're in the group. And uh, if you go to facebook.com slash I seem fun podcast, again, in the bio, there is the link right there to join the group. So I will put up pictures of what I'm talking about uh, with this Life magazine shoot and a link to the movie. It's very interesting. So anyway, I think when I go to New York and, you know, again, like I said last week on the podcast, we had our diners that we hung out in. You know, it was there was still a little bit of that old school feeling to the universe. You know, I went to high school in the late 80s. That's so weird to me. I didn't think it was weird at the time, but then when you find out people are being born in the late 80s, you're like, what? Oh, my voice is bad. So the type of people I hung out with, and I remember explaining this to my mom. I sat her down. I was like, look, my sisters were a different breed than me. They're from a different generation. Maybe they smoked pop. Maybe they drank. Maybe they did mushrooms. I don't know. Driving in their cars. I'm not interested in any of that life. I'm pretty much sober. I mean, pretty much meaning 100%. I just want to smoke butts and drink coffee. I've been drinking coffee since I was 13. I'm sure it's why I'm so short and other people in my family are not that short, <laughs> but okay. I'm I just want to drink coffee. That's all I want to do. And I want to sit in a diner and I want to talk about theater and acting, like real getting into the method. And my mom was like, I don't, I mean, if your kid brings you that proposition, how can you as a mother in the eighties who is a little bit older than the other mothers and you've already had two, a little more rebellious teenage daughters in the late seventies, early eighties. And then this freak show comes along. And says, I, it, I promise you, I'm, I'm showing you all that I'm ever going to do. I am going to smoke cigarettes. I am going to drink coffee. I am going to wear all black. But this is probably as bad as it gets. I'm not even all that interested in sex, to be honest. I'm just interested in this stuff. I think drinking is stupid. Um, what, what am I missing here? I mean, how would you trust that person? How would you not think... That's all they want to do with their free time as a teenager. That's that's the rebellion. And then the telling me about it. My mother still didn't trust me. Now she realizes she was wrong. But I mean, it's not good to smoke, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If you're going to try it, you might as well just be upfront about it. So, but I'm not allowed to do anything after school. You see, I've been taking dance lessons since I was five. Tap, jazz, point and ballet. Point is when you're up on the toe shoes, which are wooden blocks. And uh, 
I took piano since I was seven. And I, uh, in high school, was in the drama club, then I was, which was different than being in the musical. So I was busy every day. Never not busy. I'm, it's the same way I am now. I don't know what it is to relax for five minutes. And if I do, I'm like, that was, that was good. I relaxed for five minutes. So a lot of my friends didn't have to do, and I also had a job. So a lot of my friends didn't have to do stuff after school. And they would be hanging out. And, and I was actually the worst one with the smoking. I was really addicted to smoking. They weren't. Then puff and puff here and there. I was like a chain. <laughs> I don't know why. God, I hope I'm healthy. Knocking on wood. I really have quit smoking. My mother listens to my podcast. She sends me emails. You are such a good storyteller. You need an advice column in the newspaper. <laughs> that is a fool's errand. It is... Um, not going to pay the way my ads pay on this. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I'm doing what I want to do with this podcast. So anyway, like I have enough work. Don't give me more things to do. My mother's always like, you're such a good storyteller. If only this could happen. And I'm like, but it's happening. I'm telling stories on a podcast that people worldwide are listening to. This is the end result. Um, I wish there could be more uh, sometimes in certain areas and there will be, or there won't be, but who cares? Anyway. So what was I saying? The storyteller, she forgets, she forgets her own stories. Everybody, the fuck was I saying? You know what I was saying? And I don't, and you're screaming at your device right now. I'm going, this is what you're saying. God damn it. I can't remember. I might even have to stop. No, that's not like me to stop. Well, anyway, Oh, so my friends used to hang out and they would, they would, that's right. I was saying my friends used to hang out, drink coffee, do whatever. A lot of the girls would go watch the boys skateboard. That was, you know, ladies, that was before we realized why are we wasting our time watching boys do things? We could do our own things. But I was mostly off doing my own thing. And you know what? I am forever grateful for that. It wasn't like my parents were making some feminist stance and saying, don't just sit around watching boys do things. But it, it's what ended up happening that boys would do things after school. They'd get their little groups together. They'd have a band. They'd skateboard. The girls would watch them. And then I was never someone who just sat around and watched what boys did. So, but one day, but my parents always knew where I was. I had a curfew. First of all, I wasn't allowed to go out on weeknights at all, period, end of story. I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend. I don't even think until I was like 16. I mean, I would sneak out and have them here and there, but not allowed. Then it was, okay, you can go to your friend's house. I mean, this is what we used to do on weekends. It was so innocent. Like I was allowed to babysit until whatever late. So that's, I just babysat all the time. And then my friends, they wouldn't come over, but they would like sometimes walk by the house and I'd go outside for 10 seconds and they'd update me on what was going on that night. Okay. We're in the basement. We're making a movie. Steve's being a little weird, but Brian and I just made out and then she's over there. You know, I would just get all the gossip. Oh, thanks guys. All right. I got to get back inside. And then I'd watch MTV because we didn't have cable at my house. So babysitting was like a joy. I was like getting paid to be a teenager and I could stay, you know, babysit till midnight. But in real life, non-babysitting nights, my parents made me come home at 1030. Even when I was fucking 17 years old, senior in high school, I'm at my friend's house. This is how boring we were. Just, I'm still friends with these girls too. 
at my friend Terry's house. And she's with her boyfriend, Brian. They're married now, by the way. Like, these are good, upstanding, decent, sensible people. This is not like, I'm the only one who came out kind of fucked up and like a weirdo who moved to New York and then LA and became a comedian and is divorced. Like, I'm the only freak of the freaks that I used to hang out with that I was warned about. They're such freaks. They're all literally married and live within like 10 miles of where we grew up and have children and husbands and beautiful families. And I was warned, these are the people your parents warn you about. I'm the one that ended up the fuck up. This is what I say, parents. Don't be too strict with your kids because they could end up the fuck ups because then you let them loose. They go crazy, right? So I'm at my friend's house. It's 1030. It's Saturday night. We're all getting excited to watch Saturday Night Live. It's the fucking Phil Hartman, David Spade, Kevin Nealon, Jan Hooks. Like, it's the greatest seasons of all time. It's like late 80s, early 90s. I'm not allowed to watch it with my friends. Nude House of Wacky People. Are you fucking kidding me? Which, by the way, would never be on now. It was Mike Myers was playing a Japanese television executive. And he was like, we know what Americans want. It was so stupid. It aired once. And then I think they pulled it. It's really funny. I might have to post it. Um, So, you know, that's what we would do. We wouldn't even drink. We didn't drink. The only bad one was me sneaking out with the smoking. Oh, and I don't even think I was smoking that year because I was in the high school musical. I was playing Bonnie and I wanted to be good to my voice. So, I know you thought I was about to start singing, but I'm not. So, my parents would be outside, beep, beep. They live a mile away, but I wasn't allowed to have my own keys. I couldn't, they wanted to go to bed, so I had to come home. Okay, guys, well, I have to leave. I can't believe it. We're just six teenagers watching Saturday Night Live in our parents' basement, and the parents are home, and there's no alcohol. I know, but it's too wild for my family. I know I'm 17, you know. So I would leave, and I would go home. I didn't have my own car. I couldn't drive their car at night. I couldn't do anything. I don't know what they were trying to do. So I would uh, get home, and then I would get on the landline. Beep, 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 beep. No, I think we still had the rotary. And I'd call, and whoever's house it was, it was usually, sometimes my friend Brian's house, he'd pick up on the landline. Hello? Hey, Brian, it's Jen. I just got home. Oh, hey, do you want to talk to the girls? Yeah. And then they would just put the phone in the middle of the room, and I would watch Saturday Night Live on my TV and listen to them watching it. This went on every week, every week. I was like, parents, do you not get yet who I am? They didn't believe me. So senior year, the way the curriculum went, you could kind of design your life in a way. So I designed my study hall and my lunch hour to go back to back. So technically, my day ended on the days that I had gym class, I had a waiver for gym class because I took dance. So it was like, there were some days when my like educational classes ended at noon. And then after that, it was like study hall, lunch, PE, you know, school ends at 2.30. So this one day I was free at noon and my friends, and again, they were a little more rebellious than me, but this is what the rebellion was. My friend Shauna, my friend Heather, my friend, I, I forget who all the friends were, 
there was a bunch of them. It was Shauna, Heather, Terry, Steve, Brian, Rod, Adam, Jake, Dave, Nick, Chris, Heather, Katie, Jennifer, Barbara. That was like the punk crew I hung out with. David, fuck. And then there were like sophomores and juniors and seniors, like people older than us. So I had like a big crew. And, uh, but it was senior year. So a lot of the older people were gone, but some of them still lived in the town and they just went to college or they'd be home for the weekend or whatever. So this one college kid, Jay, I think that was his name. He's back. He's like, beep, beep. Hey, let's do something fun. It was senior skip day. I believe this is a day when all the seniors skip. And I was excited for senior skip day because I, well, I wasn't going to skip school, but I was out by noon and I was like, ooh, ooh. My friends can skip. I'll still go to classes. And at noon, I'm free. And then like at 3.30, I'll have to go to my dad's class. Okay, but you know, it's sort of a senior skip day for this one. Well, my friends decide that they're going to go to New York City for senior skip day. I was like, guys, no, 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 no. Let's do something that I can do. Like, let's go somewhere local, like friendlies. And they're like, well, we do that every day. Let's senior skip days to do something cool. I'm like, but you're not going to get back. For, it's a four-hour drive each way. You're going to get back, you know, before dinner. They're like, we're not coming back before dinner. We're coming back at like 11 at night, midnight. I'm like, what? I couldn't go out that late on, a, again, a weekend, let alone a weeknight. So the college kid comes, picks up everyone. And, uh, you know, they're off to New York City. And this is what they did when they got to New York City. They went to a diner to sit and smoke cigarettes and have coffee. Like that, again, was for some reason what we all thought was the most exciting thing you could do with your time. Because our life was based on, you know, a James Dean poster. So I was so jealous because I'd never been to New York City. And it's all I ever wanted. <laughs> and so, I mean, I couldn't even talk to my friends when they got back. I was like, how was it? Don't tell me. And they told me it was basically everything you would ever want. I mean, I'm sure now it would seem pretty stupid. <laughs> but that's what they did. They drove, they drove to New York. So I was once again left out. So you can imagine that New York became this place for me that I thought this is, you know, where I need to go. I mean, half was, was all of the intrigue and that it had all the arts that I wanted. But, but the other half was really, listen, you people have kept me from this place my whole life. It's the first place that I want to go. And I remember talking to the college counselor, you know, the, the whatever person you talk to. And she said, I think you would do well at Sarah Lawrence College in New York. I was like, I think so too. My parents wouldn't even let me apply. I got into SUNY Purchase as a writing major 
And I was like, that's not close enough to New York City. And my parents were like, that's too close to New York City. They thought, I thought New York City was James Dean walking down the street, taking Eartha Kitt dance class, playing bongos, going to the actor's studio. My parents thought New York City was some kind of like 1980s, I don't even know what, killing in the streets thing. We were both wrong about what New York City was. The crime wasn't bad like that anymore, and the arts weren't what they used to be. <laughs> so I went to Emerson College in Boston, and I pretended every goddamn day that I was in New York City until I could finally get there. And I don't know why. On my own, I just didn't get on a bus and go there on a weekend. I really, there's no reason. I guess the world just seemed so big to me back then, before the internet. I, I didn't really even understand what you would do once you got there if you didn't know anybody. And by the time I got to college, everyone I knew had been there. So they didn't feel the need to get away for a weekend and go. There wasn't this fascination with it. I was the only one that had that fascination with it. So you see, when you keep something from someone, it makes them go fucking crazy, right? I had no idea how to, how to travel, how to make plans. Oh, by the way, now I do. One of my favorite things that I do as a traveler is I use away luggage. And I asked away luggage if they could please be sponsors on my podcast because I believe in them so much. I only use away luggage. I used to use all the major kinds. I'm not going to say the names, but I've been traveling for a very long time and I was never satisfied completely with suitcases. I just didn't like the way they felt. I didn't like cloth suitcases. I like that, that sturdy, suitcase and that's why I love away and and trust me I check bags every trip my suitcases take a beating and they still look fantastic and I literally get compliments on them I should tape it when it happens it looks like these little mini on purpose ads are happening when I check into hotels and people go oh fancy and I feel so guilty when people tell me how fancy my luggage looks because I want to say it's a, it's actually not that expensive I I'm not some rich bitch running around so that's why I, I highly, I mean, you don't even need the discount code. That's how affordable away luggage is, but we're going to give you one. So for $20 off of a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash fun, A-W-A-Y as in I'm going away, travel.com slash fun, and then use promo code fun at checkout. You're going to get 20 bucks off of a suitcase. And if you get a matching three-piece set, which I highly recommend, I have it, I've got the carry-on and uh, a medium and a large suitcase, they're going to give you a $100 discount. So that's technically $120 off of a luggage set. So Away uses high quality materials. They offer a much lower price because they are cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. They come in a variety of colors and four sizes. I have in sand the carry-on, the bigger carry-on. I have both the medium and the large for extended stays. Now, I also have, I'm going to be honest, I also have the ones that look like steel. I've got a bunch. They're all made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistant, 360 degree spinner wheels. They guarantee a smooth ride and all of the carry-on bags are able to charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else powered by a USB cord and you can plug two in to each suitcase and they will charge your phone multiple times. And all you do is you plug in your suitcase. You just plug in your suitcase when you're ready to recharge. I swear to God, I've 
th this thing works so well. I've, I haven't had to recharge more than like once in my entire life. And if anything breaks, they will fix or replace it for free. I'm telling you, I went into an away luggage store here in Los Angeles. There's one here. And I said, oh, there's this little thing broken on the inside. They're like, let's take a new suitcase. It wasn't even a year old. I was like, are you sure you can just fix this little thing? They're like, yeah, it's fine. So go visit the stores in New York and Los Angeles. Again, this was created by two people who found themselves stuck at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea, luggage with power. That's how they invented the carry-on again. It is sleek, ultra-durable. Go to awaytravel.com slash fun and use promo code fun. Also, you get to keep it for 100 days. And if you don't like it for any reason, like let's say you're totally a jerk, then you can return it for a full refund, no questions asked, and free shipping within the lower 48. And again, if you live in New York or LA, you can just go right into the store, away, travel.com slash fun, offer code fun. Now, I don't know if the offer code works in stores. I think you can just visit there and check out the awesomeness. But once you buy it, if you live in those cities, you feel free to take your suitcase in there if there's any problems. Ah. Anyway, so that, that was my experience with New York before I ever went there. I was dreaming of it. So I get this email from a listener, and I love that anyone asks me for advice because all I can tell you guys is I don't know how to live like a normal 44-year-old. You know, I'm divorced. I don't have kids. I don't own my career is up and down. I mean, it's really not the smooth sailing I thought it would be, but I definitely know how to be in my 20s and 30s. I definitely know what to do and what not to do. Um, so I do feel equipped to tell you about that end. I wouldn't necessarily idolize what I'm doing now, but I would also not discount what I'm doing now because I think the, the joy and happiness I have as a human being is, uh, is a good thing. So Hang on one sec. I'm going to I'm going to get the door. All right, hang on one sec. Just just stay hanging on. Okay. Yeah, I sure did have to hold that bag by the bottom. Also, you could have put it in two bags. I mean, why is everyone a little bit? Why is everyone a little bit off? Everyone is just a little bit off, aren't they? Aren't they? Okay. So here's a listener email. What I was saying about myself is my joy and freedom and happiness as a soul is something I really truly value. So you know, what can I say? So again, this listener wrote this a while ago. They're probably like, um, yeah, I've already. Uh, I bought New York. I don't know if you read the article, but I'm in a penthouse, a high rise. I own the place. Everything's going great. I didn't need your... Okay, there was some technical difficulties. I don't know what happened. So it probably sounds a little weird, but I'm going to read the email that this listener sent. And we're going to get into it. Jen, I've been meaning to submit this question. For as long as I can... Remember, I've known I wanted to live in New York at some point in my life, but I've always been too indecisive to actually commit to making the move. 
two or three years ago, I decided that when I turned 30, if I still wanted to live in New York as badly as I did then, I would finally stop talking about it and just move there already. Fast forward a couple of years and I found myself staring ahead at the calendar reminder to move to New York City this August and trying to figure out why I'm so conflicted about whether or not to follow through with my plan and request a transfer through work. I could go into the myriad of reasons I love it there, but I'd like to get your advice on the main thing holding me back, which is the thought of moving even farther away from my family. I've lived in Nashville for about six years now, which is a five to six hour drive from the city where I grew up and the rest of my immediately family lives. I'm the youngest of two, and while the current distance doesn't bother me, my mom and sister keep asking when I'm going to get tired of all the concerts and move home. My sister is 15 years older than me, married with two kids, has a completely different life than I envisioned for myself. I love my niece and nephew, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't want kids. She doesn't even want to move back to a city smaller than Nashville. She doesn't want to sound morbid, but the only thing holding her back is that what if one of her parents inevitably experiences a decline in health? She'll immediately regret not spending more time closer to home. She says, as I'm writing this, it sounds ridiculous to be letting something so out of my control paralyze me. Have you had any similar hesitations? Would you be willing to share? No, I didn't. Because I moved so young both times, my parents were young. And I was young and I wasn't thinking about that shit. As you get older, you do start to weigh these decisions in. But I would say you're already five and six hours away from, first of all, you're, you, you're nervous because it's a giant move and you have to ask work to transfer. And I don't know what's going to happen. If you transfer, would you ever want to transfer back? Is the job in New York City that you would transfer to comparable to the one you have in Nashville? I don't know these answers. I assume moving to New York City is more expensive. It's smaller. It's more of an adjustment. Do you know anyone there? It's a giant, scary move, even if you are completely hooked up. So If you can just feel the feelings of being scared and say to yourself, okay, I'm not allowed to think about my family and keep going back to that thought. I am only going to focus on what scares me. Pretend my family doesn't exist or they're fine. What are my personal feelings that are not connected to my family? Am I scared? Because I do feel when we are scared, our brains don't want to feel the full feelings Our brains say to us, well, I don't really want to feel that feeling because I might talk myself out of it. Or I don't really want to feel that feeling because I'm thinking a really bad thing about myself and I don't want it to be true. So my family, that's why I don't want to move my family. Our brain convinces us that that's what's holding us back. But our brain is just keeping busy, trying to throw a million things at us to keep us from facing You've got to sit around and fantasize what moving to New York would be like without those thoughts of your family coming into your head so that you can have an accurate reason of why you actually might not want to move there or or might. Now, I'm going to say this logistically, five to six hours away is not close enough that if someone slipped and hit their head, you could be there for them. You're just not that family member that's right there. Okay? I will tell you this. My dad slipped and hit his head four years ago. Five years ago, my older sister from Vermont came down. My sister already lived in the Massachusetts area, but not exactly close to my parents. And I flew in. And we flew in with plenty of time to be there for the operation. I got a giant hotel suite. There was a snowstorm, so my mother couldn't be driving back and forth. My sister couldn't. My sister in Vermont obviously needed somewhere to stay. I said, girls, let's all stay in this giant suite. So we got a suite. We all stayed in it together while my dad had surgery and recovered for a few days. So it's like things happen and there are airplanes and there are trains and there are cars. Your parents didn't have you so that you could be their nursemaid and be around all the time. 
It is the quality of time you spend with your family right now, not the quantity. I'm sorry that they say things to you like, when are you going to get sick of all these concerts? They're obviously not accepting who you are. And I would say in that way, they are the ones keeping you from having the closest relationship possible and that you don't need to worry about them since they don't even understand you. You are sticking around for some other psychic feeling of validation or just wanting to be closer, thinking that's the way it should be, or worrying, I'm going to regret when they die that we weren't close enough. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will have fond, beautiful memories, and you will understand by the time it's ready for them to pass that you did all you could, but ultimately they made a human, and that human has to go out and live their own life. Now, your sister had kids, okay? Think about it this way. Imagine if when people had kids, and maybe this does happen, But imagine if when people had kids, they felt guilty for having them because they thought, oh, geez, you know, this takes some financial resources and some mental and physical energy away from my parents should they need my help. That's insane. That's not how life goes, right? We either have kids or we nurture our lives and careers and friendships and charities and whatever. We, we, we have our life. We, 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 that's it. This is your life. Your parents want to see you thrive. They want you happy, even if they don't understand what the fuck it is you're doing and why. But the logistical of it all is if they are five and six hour drive away, like in other words, there's, there's, um, I'd rather fly to Miami, which is like a four hour, five hour flight, than drive two hours to this beautiful resort, uh, in Laguna Beach, California. Like, because I find that more annoying than getting on a plane. So let me, let me put it to you this way. As your parents, I don't know how old they are, but I assume since you're 30, they've got to be 55 and old. My parents are 80 and I live in California. And sometimes I think, oh, I don't see them enough. But I know if I was just sitting around with them, they'd be like, don't you have a life? You know, I only see them five, six times a year. We miss each other, but it's very quality when we see each other. And I have a podcast. My mom listens. Hi. So in other words, when you're in New York City, you're going to be able to fly so quickly. I don't know where they live right now, but I bet there's an airport near them that is closer than you are to them right now. You can get there in five seconds. There's flights every 10 minutes out of JFK, Newark. You got this. LaGuardia. I don't wish that on anyone. Go to JFK. But you'll get to where they live. Are they come visiting you every two seconds? It seems like you might be the one that goes to them a lot. I think you are just kind of using them as an excuse that you don't even know you're doing it. And I think you don't need to worry about it. You need to have your own life. I think you need to examine what's scary about moving to New York because it certainly is. And I think you might need a backup plan. Like, is there a safety valve in case you change your mind? Because, oh, I have changed my mind. And I will tell you that story right now. So I know you guys know some of the story. I did write about it in my first book. I can barely take care of myself. I highly recommend. I was, I was selling books um, at one of my shows in Portland a couple weeks ago. And someone came up to me and went, which one's better? That's a rude question. Like, I'm an author and I don't, like, I kind of am partial to the second book because I wrote it. There's just, it has, it changes subjects a lot more. I think just there's like more different subjects in it. But I don't know which one is better. And don't ask me and don't, like, a- don't ask me to treat my art that way. You know, it's just so rude. It's, people are so fucking rude. It's unbelievable. And then they get mad. Why don't you want to come out with us after? Are you fucking kidding me? Have you met you? Anyway, so the first book I talk, it's almost like a memoir of like how I got started in comedy and how I moved here and how I moved there. And truly everything I have to say on the subject, I've written about the book. 
You know, I can only tell my story. I don't have advice because I don't know what people should do, but I'll tell you my story. Sorry, I'm eating a piece of watermelon and that's how it's going to be. I'm an idiot in college and I actually asked the dean of, ad, of acting admissions who was a sexual harasser. Like he sort of harassed me in my, in my audition for the school. I'm convinced now looking back on it. That's why I got in. Um, it's a more sexy sounding story than it actually is. But anyway, so I go to him thinking like he knows jack squat about dick and I go, I think I want to do stand-up. What do I do? I'm in this like acting program and I'm a dance minor, but I want to do stand-up. I think I want to try it. Because at that point, a few guys I knew had started going to open mics and I went with them and I was like, this shit's depressing. I was in these backroom bars of like shitty, really shitty Boston Irish pubs and just, you know, not even comics in Boston that ever made it. Just dudes doing dick jokes and young dudes signing up on a sign-in sheet so they could be the next generation of dick jokes. And I was just like, no, no to this, but I want to do stand-up. I want to do, I guess I've seen it on TV, you know, what's that George Carlin guy doing? <laughs> I think I want to do it like him. So I go to the Dean of Acting and I ask him if he has any resources I don't even know what I mean by that. Do you have any resources for comedians? I'm basically trying to say, please don't tell me that comedy starts with me going to these beer-soaked open mics with a bunch of dudes talking about their dicks. Please tell me. Don't. No, please, sir. Tell me that's not my fate. And he says, stand-up comedy. Well, that's depraved. And by the way, you would have been one already if you were going to be one. Eddie Murphy started when he was 18 and he was in New York City. And then it just dawned on me, boom, New York City. That's where I wanted to go to be a serious actor. That, that's right. That's where I have to go to be a stand-up. So that was the goal. Moved to New York City once I get out of college. I said, thank you, Dean of whatever. And I finished out my senior year in, in college, uh, joined an improv group. That was the closest I could get to stand up. As I was working with the improv group, I knew more and more. I don't want to work with others. I want to get up there alone. I want to say my own thing. I got to do this. I got to do this. Well, a couple months before graduation, my senior year, I started dating a junior in college. We're super in love. And... I'm telling him, look, this relationship can't last that long. I'm going to be moving to New York City. He was like, okay. I mean, I, I acted like it was on another planet. You know, New York, it's pretty far. It's like three hours from Boston, four hours. He's like, all right. So I just kept talking about it, threatening it to everyone who would listen. So I graduate, and I'm sitting there graduating, and I go, it's over. Like, I loved high school and college. I knew I'm in this bubble of fun. And yeah, the hormones are raging and I'm sad and, you know, all kinds of feelings. But this is fucking fun. And I don't have like real world responsibilities yet. And I'm spending my free time studying theater and art and dance. Like, this is a fucking life. I'm like a retired person without arthritis. This is amazing. 
And as I sat at the graduation, I was like, I'm so fucked. It's 1992, 1996, I mean, and I don't know how to do anything. I don't know what to do. So I went to a restaurant. I applied for a job. I think I got the job and I think I failed the first night. And I still wanted to move to New York, but I said, well, I have to save some money. So I lived with my parents and I was dating this said junior in college. And sometimes I'd stay with him. And I got a job at Boston Ballet. Boston Ballet! That's how we had to answer the phone. And I worked in ticketing. Not like at the theater behind the booth but at the offices. Boston Ballet. Well, yes, this season we have the Nutcracker and we have Romeo and Juliet and we have Onegin and we have this and we have that. Well, the two seats I can get you on the aisle, blah, blah, blah. This is like I was your internet. There was no buying on the internet. And we dealt with subscribers. Hello, I'm Mrs. Butterworth from 1550 Beacon Hill Avenue, and I've been a subscriber. This, is, this really happened. I've been a subscriber for 25 years, and I would like a refund for my entire season. Why, what happened, Mrs. Butterworth? I was front row at Swan Lake last night, yesterday's matinee, and the prima ballerina had her period. I'm sorry, what? That's right, Swan Lake. She's wearing all white. She lifts her leg. I mean, this is, and she, her, there was blood in between her legs. There was blood right in between, right on the crotch of her leotard. I said, well, it sounds like she got her period and didn't know it was there. Or, you know, maybe her tampon was leaking. I don't fucking know. I couldn't even believe a dancer had her period. You want a refund because someone had their period? I didn't even know where to go with this question. These, you know, Beacon Hill snobs. So that was my job. But I loved it because I was a dancer. Not anymore at that time. But I thought, I'm out of here any fucking minute. I'm going to rid myself of this town. These subscribers and their hoity-toity can't look at periods. I'm going to New York City, where all people do is get their periods on stage. It's gritty. So I'm getting more serious with my boyfriend. I'm kind of starting to enjoy his life, to be honest. It's the summer before his senior year. Him and his friends have never been closer. I'm hanging out with them. I'm like reliving, you know, I'm like Matthew McConaughey and Daisy Confused. I'm reliving my senior year. But I'm like, no, I have to move to New York. I want to be a stand-up. And I know I've told you guys this story before. So I won't repeat this part. It was in an episode from a couple months ago where I talked about seeing an article in the Village Voice or the New York Times and somehow it made its way to me in, in Boston and I read about this place called the Luna Lounge which had alternative comedy, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to move to New York and do that. So I did My boyfriend was like, we can do long distance. I was like, okay. He drove me in a U-Haul. I don't know why I I needed a U-Haul to bring what, like a wicker bedside table from Pier 1. 
and I, I think I brought a single bed mattress because that's all that would fit in the room I was renting from my friends Ann and Evan. They had been my friends in college. They were a couple. They lived together in Brooklyn in Park Slope. My rent was to be 300 a month for that room. I mean, the room was so small. If I wanted to go to my closet, I had to kind of like crawl over my bed. So Brent drives me. I move in. We go to dinner somewhere. We cry. He drives back. I'm sitting in the apartment alone. My, my roommates were out of town that weekend, and I'm just crying. I felt like Tom Hanks in the movie Big when he's a little boy in an adult's body, and he's just laying down listening to the sirens outside. That was me. And I had a little boom box, and I remember playing Stan Getz music to try to soothe myself while I slept. And you know what? Stan Getz is, is not a bad option. I actually would recommend that to anyone. And yo, here she's queuing up her music again. But uh, yeah, so, that, so that's what I would do. And then the next day I went and I went to the Luna Lounge and I've, I've told this story, so I won't tell this part, but I had a panic attack. I was just like, this is overwhelming. I'm on the subway. I don't know where I am. I think I'm lost. And, you know, go back to my room, go to sleep that night. Just laying there like, <laughs> I'm scared. And I decided, the thing that really helped me decide, I'm not ready for New York City, was I didn't feel like I belonged. I hadn't found my people. I think I went out one night with my roommates, Anna and Evan, and they already had their friends, and they were in this group, and they were sitting around chatting about some such theater thing they'd seen, and it kind of reminded me more of college, like, oh, here we are talking about theater, like, like we're so smart and cool, and, you know, I really just want to get into this stand-up thing. I don't want to be all pretentious. I want to I get real, you know, but I didn't know who to talk to. I wanted to be friends with stand-ups, but I didn't know any, and so... I really missed my life back home. I realized I had a great job at Boston Ballet. I had a great boyfriend and his friends. And it wasn't that lame to hang out with people that were a year younger than me. I mean, that's just how it went, you know? Why couldn't I hang out with them? So I called my boyfriend and I was like, I think I want to come back. And he was like, okay. So I spend one more night in that apartment. Here he comes back with the U-Haul to get me. Why wasn't I more independent? I didn't like driving on freeways then. And um, I move out. I tell my roommate, sorry, keep the 300, no big. So I don't even realize what I'm about to do next is ballsy because I'm just that stupid. Sometimes ballsy and stupid. There is an intersection. <laughs> I call my uh, old boss back at Boston Ballet. Ballet! She was like the my friend boss, Jamie. I said, Jamie, I think I want to come back. She goes, Kirkman, you quit. And you already know the big boss, Becky, she doesn't really like you that much. Remember, she didn't give you the promotion because you had blue nail polish on? I was like, oh, right. But wouldn't she rather have me work there than hire someone different, train them all over again? She's like, I mean, I guess so, but, I mean, you left. I go, yeah, but it's like five days later, I'm back. I mean, come on, forget about it. <laughs> People have been out sick longer than that. She's like, I don't know, Kirkman, I got to go to bat for you. So then... This other woman who's still a, I mean, they're all beautiful people there. This other woman, Anne, who's still a good friend to this day. Shout out to Anne. Ooh, ooh. 
She works at a great company now called Broadway in Boston. So Anne was the group saleswoman at Boston Ballet. She sold ballet tickets to groups of people. We would, we would uh, get inner city kids who didn't normally have access to, you know, ballet tickets or prices or education about ballet. We would educate. We would get group discounts. Seniors going in. You know, it was, it was actually really fun and very outreachy. And she said, you know what? I like that you moved and came back. You got moxie, kid. You got balls. I'm Anne from Dorchester. I know about tough people. You a tough girl. So Anne hired me as the group sales associate. And I was fucking good. And then when she moved to this company called Broadway in Boston, where um, plays and musicals came and had a run, you know, touring companies after their Broadway run, or before people come and try things out. I worked there. In fact, in fact, one of the places I regularly sold for was the Wilbur Theater. Oh my God. Back when they did more like productions, like plays and musicals. And now I play the Wilbur Theater. I played there two years ago. I am back. September 13th, ooh, ooh, hometown girl. I got to tell you, there's like 40 seats left on the floor. The mezzanine seats are amazing. I mean, some may argue better views than the floor, but if you're a floor person, because they don't have stairs, I mean, they have stairs, they don't have elevators, come to the meds, I would get floor tickets. I need to sell this show out. It's 1,000, it's 1,100 seats. We sold 400. Let's do this. JenKirkman.com, click tour, tell a friend, buy a group. I'm serious group sales, bitch. The other tour dates, oh my God, there is so much going on. But as usual, you know to go to JenKirkman.com, click tour. We've got Brooklyn on 9-11. We've got uh, Toronto dates coming up on my website. Just hold the 19th through the 23rd. I will know more once they start uh, putting that festival on sale. They do a whole system. They'll tell me later when I'm performing. I'm at the Kabu Festival in Del Mar, California, September 15th. And then moving backwards from there, uh, you know, on sale right now, Philadelphia, April uh, 25th, Pittsburgh, April 24th, Salt Lake City, my Salt Lake City debut, May 10th through 12th. Happy Mother's Day. That's Mother's Day weekend. Mothers love me. I have a lot of good mom material and stuff for the child-free. I don't do um, political, uh, you know, what do you election politics in my act. You'll love it. And then I'm in Omaha and St. Louis and Kansas City in May as well. So come see that. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the pre-sale code and all that jazz. Okay. So I'm jamming. I'm working in Boston. But I moved back to New York a year later. I do the temp thing for a while. I can't stand it. It's hard. And someday I'll tell you about some of my crazy jobs I did last a couple weeks ago. But um, I start keeping a blog around 1999-2000. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just blogging about how my gigs went. I'm blogging about... I remember my roommate Anne was blogging too. And her blog was called like Anne from 3B or something like that. But our apartment was not 3B. But she wanted it to be 3B because it sounded like the apartment on Friends. And also she was doing like a Carrie Sex in the City thing. So it was sort of like this exaggerated thing about her love life that wasn't really real. 
And my blog was more like, I did this today. I did that today. I went over here. And an old friend of mine from college, this guy, Paul, was reading my blog. I don't know how he found it, but he was reading it. I didn't, we weren't in touch. There was no Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, MySpace, none of that. Friendster, not even Friendster, people. And uh, somehow Paul got my number. I ran into him and he said, I love your blog. I go, my blog? I didn't think anyone read that thing. He goes, I like how it's just like what you're doing. He's like, listen, I'm working for a new company called Funky Talk. (laughs) And it's these two guys and they made a lot of money. They made a lot of money in like the maps area of the internet. And they wanted to start, and they were right to do this, videos on the internet. What? People didn't even have Blackberries yet. This was flip phone days. Pagers. Page me. I'll call you back for my flip phone. So... He says, yeah, we're going to go across the country and we're going to do these little pranks and people are going to follow along on the website and they're going to vote. So we're going to say, hey, we're driving across country and how it would work was we drove from New York all the way down to Key West and then all the way across to California. We stopped in every state pretty much. And so it would be like, hey, we're leaving New York City today. Should we go through New Jersey, Connecticut or Boston? You know, something like that. And then... They would tell us, so we'd go to that city. Okay, now that we're here, should we dance in the street or start a riot or jump up and down? And then people would vote and we would do it. And we'd make these, you know, 30-second, two-minute videos. But, oh, my God, it would take 48 hours to upload a video. (laughs) And then most people couldn't watch it on their computers. It was something you would, like, do at work because otherwise you'd be sitting. I mean, it it was just so ahead of its time. And they kept talking about bandwidth and someday there's going to be fast internet. And I was like, I don't know what anyone's saying, but sounds like some bullshit. But they finally got me on board and they're like, look, I don't know how much it paid a year. I think it was like actually not too bad of a pay. I think it was like, so it was myself, this Murphy three in this van. And we stayed in hotels though. I don't have the detail. Listen, I don't have my 401k, not my, I don't have my tax returns. But it, it was pretty good pay. It was more money than I'd ever seen. And, and so me, this woman, Morgan, this guy, Austin, they weren't comedians, but we went across the country. And it was, yeah, it was about two months. Um, so, you know, we would stay in hotels, but we would stop. I remember one of the things we did was we went to New Orleans and we hired a real New Orleans street jazz band. I'm talking like a 20 piece band. And we had a funeral for a turtle and we were dressed in black and there was like a choir singing. And my parents happened to be in New Orleans that same day I was there. They were there for like some kind of golf tournament my dad had for work. And so they joined us and that was really fun. My mom still talks about it. Oh, when we were in New Orleans and, uh, we did weird things. Like we went to Miami beach and we got on stage at this night, this like amateur night of performers. And we all dressed in like, we all dressed up like the Backstreet Boys and sang a song. I mean, we did weird things or we would go to, um, we drove all the way out to Hollywood and we went to, what's that, not Mario Batali, the other one, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. And we were seated and then we had to stand up and be like, this food sucks, you know, like stupid shit like that and like complaining. And uh, I think... Yeah, it was weird. I'd go outside Disney Studios and pretend I was protesting. It was like pranky and fun. Way ahead of its time. This is the year 2000 at this point. 
But what they're filling my head with the whole time is you have stock options. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, well, if you, if we go public and if people invest in us, you're going to be one of the first investors in the company and you're going to be a millionaire like within a couple of years. And I was like, oh, and they're like, Time Magazine's already interested in doing an article. I mean, I wish I knew how dumb that was then. Time Magazine's, I've written two things for them and no one reads it. No one cares. <laughs> they're like, and the Gap is interested in sponsoring us and giving us free clothes. Now, I wasn't exactly a Gap clothing wearer, but I was like, you can get free clothes. Like, this was all blowing my mind. I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. And I was just like, oh, no, of course I am. Like this, It's amazing I'm not because every time someone told me something, I totally believed them. And I had almost a, the secret attitude about it, which was like, oh, yeah, of course I am. There was no blocking it. Like, that can't happen. I was like, yeah, of course I should get this. And... I had no idea that I was in the middle of what was known as like the dot-com bubble bursting. No clue. I thought I was on the verge of history and that no one else was in the same position I was. (laughs) And so the guys that were going to invest in Funky Talk were these Wall Street dudes. Now, Funky Talk's website was not public when we were going around the country. It was private and our friends and family could watch the videos and comment. There were comments like, you go guys and you should do this and that. And they wanted it to be a community. Everyone's commenting on the videos and fun, fun, fun and tell your friends to comment more and inside jokes, but you know, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know who these investors are. I just hear there there is these investors. Well, my really good friend from childhood, Shauna, one of the aforementioned girls who went to New York City that day, um, when we were in sixth grade, I don't know why I did this, but we always had a crush on this guy, Jonathan Barnes, who was just like a very handsome, like Mr. Harvard, like John Hughes movie kind of guy. He's since doesn't look like that anymore, but he was very cute when we were growing up. But he's kind of like a square and like a straight-laced and not a punk. And we, we got over him pretty quickly when we were adults. But when we were, you know, middle school kids, we thought he was cute. So for some reason, I wrote in Shauna's yearbook, you have a crush on Jonathan Barnes. Now, she did, but so did I. And you don't write that in someone's yearbook because that shit gets passed around. And then people saw it. I mean, it wasn't like, it was like saying you breathe air. Yeah, everyone had a crush on Jonathan Barnes like boys did, you know, teachers did. People, a lot of people had to reconcile a lot of feelings they had. And so... Shauna was like, I'm going to get you back for this someday. No, of course she's kidding. But as a joke, she's writing all over the comment field. Remember Jonathan Barnes and you used to do this and Jonathan Barnes and what if, uh, you know, just on and on, like, where's Jonathan Barnes these days? And, um, and then I would comment back, I don't know, like what a square, you know, all this stuff. Jonathan was always pretty nice to me. Um, his his guy friends were really mean to me. Like the boys were mean to me. I never related to any mean girl stuff because the girls weren't really mean to me growing up. It was the boys. And I was always making an ass of myself. You've heard my stories. I go to school dressed like Groucho Marx. I went to uh, or Mozart. I went to a slumber party dressed like Groucho Marx. I'm a, I was a weird kid. And I remember Jonathan was, was always like, what is with the costumes? And I was like, dude, you're never going to get me. You know, and but he would defend me to his friends because he was that sort of Kennedy-esque, I'm a fair trial lawyer <laughs> type 10-year-old. 
And so we always appreciated Jonathan for that. Well, we're done going around the country. We hear that the investors have really been enjoying it, but they're, they're, you know, they've got some issues with the uh, videos and the fact that it takes 48 hours to upload and will people really watch this? And you know, what can the company do besides this? Do we always have to be on the road traveling? Is it always just TV production? Will we have in-house things that we do? And so Austin and I started a kind of a he said, she said love advice column and we were writing things and this and that. And you know, they just wanted the company to keep expanding as they sort of watched us. And so then one day our bosses said, well, the investors are coming. They want to meet everyone. They're coming tomorrow. We, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but this is the dot-com culture. We are not stuffy suit button-up people. We're going to show them that they're investing in the future and this is how it's going to be. And I want everyone to wear pajamas to work tomorrow. We're just going to be super chill and cash. So I do it up. I'm wearing pajamas, big slippers, pajamas, pigtails. I come in. No one else is wearing pajamas. They're like, Jen, you didn't literally wear pajamas, did you? I go, you said to wear pajamas. They go, oh, I mean, like casual. I go, I'll go, well, I took it literally. And they go, but this is fun. The investors will love this. They really want to invest in something kooky, creative, whatever. So I'm sitting at my desk and the guys start coming in the hall and they're like, the investors are here. Like everyone, yeah, look alive. And all of a sudden this guy walks in and he goes, Jen Kirkman? I go, hi. I didn't recognize him at all. He goes, it's me, Jonathan Barnes. I go, oh, hey, what are you doing here? I'm not putting it together. Like, Jonathan, get out of here. The investors are coming. He's the investor. I go, he goes, I've been watching your stuff for months. So he's seen the comments for months that me and my dumb friend Shauna are writing about him. Like, how on earth the odds of that? So anyway, he's like, what are you wearing? He's like, I go pajamas. He's like, still in your weird costumes. I'm like, ha, yeah. So he and the guys go in the other room to discuss. The investors leave. They don't say bye. And then the guys call us in their office. They've got a case of beer. They're like, well, the company's going under. We're like, what? They're like, they didn't invest. And I go, is this my fault? They go, no. And I go, I just want to tell you. And I tell them the whole thing. And then we were commenting about Jonathan Barnes and I didn't know he was an investor. And then you guys told me to wear pajamas and then I did, but he always knows I'm weird. And they're like, okay, we're making, so they made fun of me a little bit because we kept in touch after that. They're like, remember when you tanked the company by being the weird kid that the investor knew? But we, we ended up going under and I didn't understand. I was like, oh, so like next year we probably won't be around. They're like, as of today, we're done. I was like, what? And they're like, well, we'll have a party tonight, you know, at one of the guys' houses that ran the place. He had one of those New York City places where the there's just an elevator inside, not like in an apartment complex. Like he has a home all to himself with an elevator in it. I was like, what is happening? So, you know, it was like, I didn't understand. I was like, but you guys are millionaires and you just fired us all because the company doesn't exist. I really thought like, can't you just give us money? That's how I thought life worked. If you're a millionaire and your company goes under and you have an elevator in your house, I don't get why you can't give me money. And I was like, well, at least we have the stock options. And everyone's like, Jen, you idiot. The stock options are only if the company does well and goes public. I'm like, what? It was heartbreaking. So that was the day. The last time that I worked in anything creative for another 10 years. Well, I toiled away at day jobs, both in New York City and LA. So, you know, 
moving to New York, move at your own risk. It can be really fun as long as you're ready to have some fun and live in a box. I think you should do it. I think everyone should live in New York at some point in their life. And I tell you, it doesn't get easier as you get older, so you might as well fucking go now. This is what I tell you guys. I don't have advice. I can only tell you my stories, and you can take from them what you will. I don't know if that's helped anybody. I assume I assume it probably hasn't. But I will let you know that if you enjoy my stories and you live in Los Angeles, may I please beg you to come to my storytelling show on April 30th. If you guys remember my dear friend Tammy, she was on an episode of this podcast a couple years ago. You saw her at my L.A. show a long time ago. Um, she was fantastic. She was a crowd favorite. I'm telling a new story. Tammy's coming to tell a new story. It's going to be great. If you are a fan of mine, this is where you see me. This is where people wish they could see me who live in all parts of the country. It is only 15 bucks at 7.30. Cute little cabaret space, the Improv Lab, Hollywood Improv in the Improv Lab. Yes, there's a full bar. Come have a little drink after work. Sit, relax. It's chill. It's not typical comedy. It's a small place. We don't talk to the audience. We don't pick on the audience. It's a beautiful time. And it's where you see me do things I do not do anywhere else, not even on the podcast. So come, jenkirkman.com, click tour, or you can go to um, the Hollywood Improv website. But I would just I would just get those tickets in advance. You can also buy them at the door. We do hold tickets every week because I know some people can't commit because they don't know about their work schedule, blah, 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 blah. So come to the show Oh boy, next week I'm already excited to talk to you about, well, I'm not even going to get, I'm not even going to tell you because I might change it. (laughs) What? A great teaser. Until next week, have fun. (laughs) 